If we're not reading the Bible through Jesus and we're taking everything as equal and giving everything uh, the same weight and taking it at its face value, the Bible's an incoherent text. How can you say, listen to the cries of the poor without looking at what makes them poor? You don't have to believe certain things to be part. The irony is that you can be pro-guns, pro-death penalty, pro-military, anti-environment, and still say you're pro-life. But people get really uncomfortable. It's like they want to have their religion and they want to have their porn. They want to do both. I don't think any form of Christianity deserves to survive and thrive if it doesn't come to terms with the racism of our past. When we really tell the story of Jesus, we find a God who comes to the point where it has all collapsed. If a good teacher is to get a student to get the right answers on the test, and if Jesus was supposed to get us to get the right answer for when we die, then can we just be honest and say, not a good teacher? Fall is upon us, and we're back into the normal routines that we're used to, and let one of those normal routines be your health and wellness. Who better to help you with that than Angie Niska with Rise Nutrition? You can reach out to her on Facebook at Rise Menominee, and she'll get you started accomplishing all of your health and wellness goals. Again, that's Angie Niska with Rise Nutrition. Hello, friends. I am your host, Matt Kinzera, and we've done a couple of episodes on contradictions. Not necessarily contradictions in the Bible, but contradictions surrounding faith in general. That got some good feedback, some good traction, so we're going to keep that rolling. And today, we're going to talk about grace. The two words that are tossed around the most in religious circles are love and grace and for good reason those are some incredible words that we should indeed talk a great deal about especially when we're talking about the divine especially when we're talking about faith the best form of both of these of both love and grace are some of the greatest things life has to offer i mean the absolute greatest things are found in the heart and in the center of love and grace the great challenge however is that both in their most pure and beautiful form are almost impossible for human beings to understand. It's as if it's beyond our comprehension abilities through and through. So we end up throwing them around a lot because they are very alluring and because they're things that all of us care a lot about. But then in the end, what happens is we often end up giving them a meaning that's less than what is actually possible. So let's start with the actual definition of grace, like what you would find in a dictionary. The definition of grace, the kind of grace that we're talking about, is simply the free and unmerited favor of God. Key in on those words, free and unmerited, because we're going to talk a lot about them today. I also love to connect this concept with a different version of grace, which is defined as simple elegance or refinement of movement. I love that kind of grace as well. And when we put these two definitions together, I personally view grace as free and unmerited favor of God that moves with elegance throughout humanity. The part of grace that is proven challenging to religious groups is, of course, as I already mentioned, the free and unmerited part. It's simply this piece that 
I mean, honestly, it's this piece that's difficult to get our minds around because it's a concept rarely found in our world in any other place. I mean, we live in a world and in a culture in which we are encouraged to, you know, like work hard to accomplish our dreams. We really value that kind of living. And rightfully so. This is not a bad thing. It's actually quite good. And I think it's extremely helpful. I appreciate, I greatly appreciate the challenge of earning what I get in this world. And again, that's all okay. That's a good thing. But when we try to overlay the concept of grace on top of a culture of effort, that's where we start running into problems. When it comes to grace, the concept of, I don't know, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps or putting your nose to the grindstone. I mean, they need not apply really because we're talking about two separate things. But you can understand that it's going to be a little bit of a challenge when in most areas of life we're looking at one concept or construct. And then when we're talking about our faith and when we're talking about God and the divine, we're looking at a completely I mean, it couldn't be any more different. We're looking at a completely different concept altogether. Okay, so let's look at this in the context of our modern Christian belief system, just so we kind of dig down and get to the core of what I'm going to be talking about today. We are informed in most Christian circles, certainly in the evangelical Christian circles. We are informed that we are what we're saved by grace. That's right. Saved by grace and not by any of our own actions. That's kind of, I mean, that's in so many ways what attracts us to Christianity altogether. So honestly, that is where the conversation should end, that we're saved by grace and not by any of our own actions. That should be a full stop, end of sentence, period, on to the next topic. We are saved by grace, period. But again, this concept is so challenging to us and we seem incapable of simply leaving it there, which has led to a lot of the challenges that we have. If we leave it there, just put a period at the end of that sentence, we're saved by grace, not by our own actions, period. If we leave it there, why would anyone want to be part of our religion or come to our churches? Because if I'm saved by grace, period, then I don't know, I guess I would question the need for religion or question the need for church altogether. Maybe I'm oversimplifying this, but you're getting my, my drift here a little bit at least. So what we've done over history is we've had to add in a little something in there just to help it make more sense to our minds that are so entrenched in a different kind of thinking. So the tagline then goes on to say, and all you have to do dot 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 <laughs> wait so just we just have to wait just a second if grace is unmerited favor of god then i should not have to do a damn thing not a single damn thing right that's what grace is i don't have to do anything that is what unmerited means so as soon as those words are included as soon as that tagline all you have to do as soon as that is included in the conversation we begin to water down the definition and the concept of grace altogether. So what is it that we're told we have to do? Because I know if you've been in Christian circles, you're like, no, I'm not told to do anything. Well, yeah, actually we are. What are we told to do? We're told that all we have to do, again, that word do is watering down grace, but all we have to do is accept Jesus 
as our Lord and Savior. And that accepting Jesus part, it gets packaged in this construct or or this concept that we simply have to say a prayer. But if we really think about it, the weight of the demand is pretty huge. The weight of the demand is that we're supposed to accept someone, Jesus in this case, as our Lord. That, my friends, is no small thing because a Lord is defined as someone or something that has power, authority, or influence, a master or a ruler. So what we're saying is in order to get this unmerited favor of God, I actually have to let someone else take control of my entire life. So the first thing I have to do is I have to accept Jesus into my heart by saying a prayer. And by doing that, I'm also needing to let somebody else take control of my entire life. That that is no small thing at all. So it's more than simply saying a prayer. It's altering my very existence. So actually, I do have to do something for this grace. So sure, Jesus is going to be a pretty epic Lord and Savior. I, I mean, I think he is. But that does not line up again with the pure and simple definition of grace. Again, grace would actually say, you get favor even if you don't accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Because again, it's free and it's unmerited. But if that's true, then our whole system is so screwed up. So why is this important to bring up? Why are we wasting this time making a podcast episode on this concept of grace? Well, for so many reasons, and let me just bring up a few. Number one, first and foremost, it's very manipulative. I currently work with a anti-human trafficking organization called Fierce Freedom, an incredible organization, and I love all the work that we're doing. What we do is we educate people on what human trafficking actually looks like, which is very different than what most people think. And one of the things that often happens when traffickers groom their victims is that they say or offer something seemingly for free, but then the script gets flipped and there's an expectation of a payment for those things that were given. For example, maybe the trafficker buys the victim a bunch of nice things and then eventually down the line explains that those things must be paid for, in this case, by sexual acts that will then pay the trafficker. So if Christians or evangelicals throw out the concept of free and unmerited grace and then put an asterisk next to it and say, actually, you do need to do something, well, the only word, the only word that makes any sense to me in talking about either of those situations, a trafficker or a Christian in this situation, the only thing that makes sense, the only word that makes sense is manipulation. It's either free or it's not. It can't be both. If you have to do anything to earn it, then my friends, it is not free. This is a very, very basic concept. If I give you $100 for free, it's a gift. If you have to do anything for it, then you earned it. And if you have to submit your entire life to me in order to get that $100, well, I am not sure that it's worth it. 
Now, before we go further, do not turn off this episode because you think I'm saying that we should not follow Jesus or consider him our Lord and Savior. That's not even the topic on the table. I'm simply saying that if we are required to subjugate ourselves in order to receive grace, then it's not really grace. It's something very different. So, I don't know, maybe we need a new word altogether. Maybe that's the route that we should take. All right, number two. So number one is it's just really manipulative. Number two is this. Misconception of grace then opens the door to a lot of expectations. If I actually have to earn grace, which by the way is an oxymoron, then what else do I need to do or earn? Do I need to earn acceptance? Do I need to earn love? Do I need to earn worth? I mean, when I was on church staffs, we very much had an idea of, I don't know how else to put this, we very much had an idea of what a high-level Christian was like, what a high-level Christian did. And we worked very, very hard to encourage everyone to do these things. So yes, if you truly want acceptance, come to church each week, join a small group, and do your daily quiet time volunteer, all of those sorts of things that you've heard over and over again. If you do those things, you become, I don't know, a poster child for a mature Christian. And if you don't, well, then we pray for you, I guess. (laughs) Again, not arguing if any of those things are good. That's not what we're doing today. We're just kind of calling it what it is today. I'm sure that all of these things can be good. I think going to church each week, that can be a good thing. Joining a small group of people and talking about faith, that certainly could be a good thing. Daily quiet time and meditation, I'm a big believer in that. Volunteering, of course, those are good things, but we shouldn't do them just to become, again, the poster child for mature Christianity or whatever. All can be good things, but when acceptance is connected to them, then we have a problem. And whether consciously or not, there is certainly the potential to begin believing that because we don't live up to these expectations, that, we, that we're not good enough. And in some ways, as I'm thinking about this, in some ways that feels like an unfortunate full circle because what's so alluring and wonderful and beautiful about grace is that hypothetically, because of it, everyone, and I mean everyone, has worth and value. I mean, think about it. That had to be at least a piece of what drew you towards faith and towards the divine. As a Pentecostal preacher I once knew, screamed over and over (laughs) during one of what I would argue is my favorite sermons ever. What he screamed over and over during this sermon, as this young guy who was beaten on the pulpit, it was just epic. He would scream, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. So we come because we're told that this is a place where we all have worth and value. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And it's level simply because we're human. That's, that's the allure again. But then we don't have to travel too far down the line to understand and to feel like we're less than because simply because we don't fit the mold or because we can't kick a certain what would be called a sin issue or because again in the Pentecostal circles maybe because you don't speak in tongues or I don't know fill in the blank for yourself we've all experienced it on some level so we come because we feel the allure of grace allowing us to feel and understand that we are fully worth something and we have value in and of ourselves 
But then that gets flipped on us because we're not doing the things that we're told we're supposed to do. So then this thing that we grabbed onto because we thought it would bring worth and value to us actually ends up making us feel worse. And it all started, it all started with a screwed up definition of grace altogether. Conservatives and fundamentalists, they love to use the slippery slope analogy. And if you've deconstructed your faith on any level, like I know many of you have, you know what the slippery slope analogy is. It's something that's used with people who have questions and doubts, people like me. And it goes something like this. So if you change your beliefs on this issue, maybe it's the LGBTQ inclusion or heaven and hell or whatever, you fill in the blank again. If you change your beliefs on that issue, that's a slippery slope. Because if you now believe that it's okay to be gay, what's the next thing that you're going to believe is okay? What's the next theology that you're going to throw away? It's a slippery slope. Well, since we're in the business today of flipping a script a little bit, I would like to officially flip that around and say, if you start defining grace as something that it actually is not and claiming that you have to earn it, well, that, that indeed is a slippery slope because if grace isn't actually grace, then what else isn't actually what it's defined as being? So number one, it's completely manipulative. Number two is that it really opens the door to a ton of expectations that we need not put on one another. And then the last thing I'm going to talk about, and let me tell you, I could keep going, but I like to keep this podcast at a certain time level. So in order to keep it there, the last thing I'm going to talk about today is simply this. We are giving up something that is so amazing, so lovely, so beautiful. We're giving that up for some cheap imitation and we don't have to. We don't have to give up something so spectacular. We are choosing to give it up. Making it more palatable, making grace more palatable does not make it better. Quite the opposite is true. It makes it way worse. The truth is, though, that I think most of us really love the idea of grace when we're talking about ourselves. And I think we really love the idea of grace when we're talking about people that we love and when we're talking about people that we like to be around. But it seems that most of us have some lines that we like to draw on the sand to protect ourselves from other people that maybe we don't enjoy being around quite so much or that we just don't think alike. We like to protect certain people from partaking in this amazing grace. If we have to believe the right way to receive grace, well, then we don't actually have to deal with the people who believe differently than us, right? If that's going to be our new definition of grace, that you have to believe a certain way, well, then that excludes a bunch of people that we're not all that comfortable being around. Having an actual conversation about faith and God, divinity, heaven, hell, having an actual conversation about that faith with a Buddhist or maybe a Muslim, well, I mean, quite honestly, that might be just a little bit too much for my shaky foundation of faith. If grace is real, like actually real, the real definition of grace, then what else is real are the Bible verses that say that Jesus came for all. And we need not change the definition of all either. All can actually just mean all. So if grace is unmerited, 
We don't need to believe or say anything right to get it. So if that is true, then everyone, and I mean everyone, is in. So it's a yes for you. It's a yes for me. Here we go. It's a yes for the Jewish person. It's a yes for the Muslim person. And wait for it. It's even a yes for the atheist because as I have heard more than a few pastors and authors say, you may not believe in God, but he believes in you. (laughs) It's a yes to the murderers. It's a yes to the rapists. And for those of you out there who love bringing this guy up with me, it's even a yes to Hitler because it's either grace or it isn't. In this space, I love gray areas. In this space, there's no gray area. Grace is grace or grace is not. We can have a whole nother conversation about sin. If we want to talk about Hitler, murderers, rapists, whatever, we'll have a whole nother conversation about sin because that too is something that we need to look a lot more in depth at. But today, it's about grace. And grace, grace can be borderline offensive because it actually applies to everyone, even all those people that we feel so uncomfortable with. Grace applies to the best, and grace applies to the worst. And if that is a concept that is difficult for you, that's okay, you're in good company. It's difficult for all of us. And it's been challenging for Christians throughout history who have now decided to change the whole definition of it. The true definition is still said from up front. It's still declared the actual true definition that you are saved by grace and not by anything you do. That is still what is said out of the mouths of pastors and Christian leaders. But the question is, do they actually mean it? Do they actually mean it? Because if you go a little down the line again, they're actually saying that you have to earn it. And once again, that's an oxymoron. But the question that I have is how would life, how would the world, how would humanity be different if we simply let grace be grace? I love a great story more than just about anything in the world. And so I want to end with a story, something that I experienced that really brings the importance of having a clear understanding of what grace actually is. This story, I think, really brings it home. I was asked to lead a Bible study. This was the last Bible study I was ever asked to lead in the evangelical circles (laughs) for obvious reasons. Um, But I was asked to lead this Bible study, and so I went there and I was leading it. And it was hosted by an elderly couple. And most of the people that went to this Bible study were a lot older than me. And the reason I bring that up is because when you're with people who grew up, let's call it the 50s, there's always, there's always a great intermission in the Bible study because there's always a great time for a potluck. I mean, you got to eat, right? And so everybody would bring food. They'd trade off bringing food. And in the middle of the study, so we did a few songs and then we were reading the Bible a little bit. And then the host eventually said, all right, we're going to take a pause right now. Everybody enjoy the food. So we got up and we, I mean, I'll just speak for myself. Like I filled my plate because... It was pretty awesome. And so I'm sitting there eating and just chatting with people that are there, just small talk. And then out of the corner of my eye, I see this gentleman. And he was actually roughly in my age group. He might have been a little bit older than me. And I noticed him just standing kind of off in a corner, like literally in a corner. And I could tell that he was emotionally distraught, like he was struggling with something. So I very begrudgingly put down my 
plate of really, really good food because it was just the right thing to do. So I put down my plate of food and I headed over to where he was and I stood next to him and I looked him in his eye and I just asked, I said, Hey, I can tell, I can tell you're struggling. So, you know, what's, what's going on? Is there something I can help you with? And then he, he went into this story and he said, Matt, a number of years ago, my wife lost a really hard battle with cancer and she died. And I said, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm extremely sorry for your loss. And he said, but that's not why I'm sad. He said, that happened a number of years ago, but when it happened, my son, because he put two and two together and because he believed in God, he believed that God caused his mother to die. He believed that God took his mom from him. And so ever since my wife died, my son has hated God and he's totally given up on God altogether. And he said that now his son is grown, he's a young adult, and he said he joined the military. And the next week, so the week after this Bible study, his son was being deployed to the Middle East. Now the Middle East has been a challenging place for a lot of years now. And those of you listening who have kids, I mean, you can imagine the trepidation that you would feel if your child was in the military and was being deployed to the Middle East. Well, that was this guy's situation. And he's told me, he said, I am so scared. I'm so scared that my son is going to die protecting our country. And because he's so angry at God and no longer believes in God because of what God did to his mom, I am so fearful that he's just going to go to hell. And so I just felt like all the air like come out of my lungs because of just the weight of that comet. I am so scared that my son is going to die serving our country. And because he hates God, he's going to go to hell. And like in so many situations in my life and so much of the work that I've done, sometimes you just met with these questions and these thoughts and these comments. And there's, I mean, what do you say to that? What do you say to this dad? And in that moment, I just, I paused and I just looked in his eyes and I said, you know, I just believe that God's grace is way bigger, way bigger than we could possibly ever imagine. And I believe that God understands your son's hurt and understands what your son went through. And because of that, and because this is how I believe God is with everyone, the grace that he has for your son and all of humanity is way bigger than we could ever imagine. And then they called us back and we finished up the Bible study and went on our way and came back the following week for the same Bible study and he was there again and he just came to me again with tears in his eyes, but there were different kinds of tears. And he just thanked me. He said, thank you so much for what you said last week, because now my heart is so much more at peace, believing that God's grace is so much bigger than I can imagine. A grace that's often taught to us as not being free is a grace that could lead a father to thinking the way that this father thought. But true grace with its true definition of being free and unmerited that kind of grace applies to everyone 
And it certainly applies to the young boy who hates God because God took his mom. Friends, let's stand on the concept of grace as being free. Let's stand on the concept of grace as being unmerited. And let's do a full stop there. No additions of what must be done to earn it. Grace is the free and unmerited favor of God, the divine, the universe, the presence, period. Thanks everybody for listening. It's been great to be with you as always. If you want to keep this dialogue going, just hop on Instagram or Facebook and just give me your thoughts. Give me your thoughts on grace. What do you think about it? Of course, if you want to support this podcast, the easiest way to do it is simply to hit that subscribe button or an Apple podcast, that little plus button. And then you can write a review, give us a five-star rating. All of those things help this podcast get in front of as many people as possible. Until next time.